So verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Um, how many of you read the book by George Orwell, 1984? Some of us, a lot of us have read that, right? Yeah, it's a great book. It was written in 1948, just kind of flipped the years. And it's a book about the denunciation of totalitarian government and a warning against what today I guess we'd call political correctness. You know, the lack of freedom to speak our minds without being criminalized by the government or something. So in this novel, Orwell describes a scary place which ironically is called the Ministry of Love. Uh, and this is where political dissidents or even those suspected of nonconformity to the government would be taken. And in the inner recesses of the Ministry of Love, there was this particularly dreadful place called, anybody remember? Like Room 101. Uh, room 101 held a different terror for each person who was brought in there, right? Because the government spied on everybody, and so they knew what our fears and our shames and our weaknesses were, and they would just prey on the subjects, right? And so, uh, and in this room, it would highlight the fears of each individual. Um, so, fear, you know, it's accompanied by shame, and it's often a powerful emotion, and it comes to us in a variety of ways, right? And some kinds of fears are good and appropriate and keep us from physical or spiritual harm. I mean, there's some things you should be afraid of. You know, it's like maybe you, know, you stay away from drugs or sexual uh, promiscuity or infidelity because of the breaking, you know, the destruction of relationships or lust and, and how that just steers us wrong and warps our minds and... Uh, gluttony. I mean, there's any number of sins that, that uh, each one of us are uniquely probably uh, prone to that we have to uh, just pray for God to help us battle, right? And it's normal to be tempted by sin. I mean, we see that that's the human condition. And we sort of feel like, oh, I can handle this, and, you know, I can maybe do a little bit of this. But you can see the destruction that ends up happening out of it. Um, and you kind of see, like, people's hobbies sometimes require overcoming fear to do them, like skydiving is like doing that. Or some people want to go out in a big cage and swim with a white shark, great whites. It's like, you know, I'm not going to do either one of those. It's like, it's just normal to be afraid of certain things, and, and it's healthy, right? And, and there's a healthy kind of fear in our relationship to the Lord. You know, it's not this terrifying kind of fear that would send us running. It's like, for some reason, I was watching The Wizard of Oz a couple days ago. And so, you know how the cowardly lion is just, like, running terrified. He doesn't even know of what. And, you know, it's like, that's not the kind of fear that we have with God. But it's in a deep, abiding reverence for who he is, who he is and the knowledge that he created us and the universe and everything around us. And that deserves some sort of respect, right? But it's also that one day we're going to appear before him and have to give an accounting of our lives, and that should inspire a little bit of fear, like, you know, it'd be nice to be in a right relationship with God. Um, so, the Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom shall I be afraid? Great verse. Men seek our lives, right, but they can't touch our souls because our souls belong to God. We don't have to fear other men. We just have to fear the Lord because he's the only one who... Uh, controls our soul. But he isn't here to destroy our soul. He's here to protect us and guide us and love us and, you know, just uh, lead us on a different type of path than men would lead us. And so David, who is called the sweet psalmist of Israel, you know, wrote out his own personal experience. As a young guy, he shepherded the flocks of his father Jesse and had to fight off predatory animals. You know, back in that day in Judea, there were lots of bears and lions, and to the help of God, had emerged victorious, right? And while still young, he faced Goliath, the giant Philistine, 
uh, and to win the hand of King Saul's daughter, he put a thousand Philistines to death. Uh, and as a man, he became a seasoned warrior. And so he's already been through a lot, and God has taken him through a lot. But David was not without enemies. Kings of foreign lands were after him, especially his father-in-law, Saul, uh, really did not like him. This is probably one of the Psalms written by David while he was hiding from Saul. There's, uh, you know, that's a theme here in this first section of uh, Psalms. And having to contend with all these various hostile powers, but the Lord did not allow David to fall into the hands of any of his enemies. So, like in verses 2 and 3, he continues, When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, and when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. It's interesting. Uh, there's you know a bunch of cinnamons for enemies in 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 this uh, chapter. You know, so there's like foes and enemies and oppressors, and there's another uh, word in there also. So uh, they come in all shapes, forms, and sizes. Uh, and uh, this passage really uh, highlights that. And so in a fallen world, it's not going to surprise us that evildoers abound, right? And to seek to harm the people of God. Now, most of us aren't going to actually be surrounded by an enemy army. But even if you are, God is going to be there to fight on your behalf, right? Because he's greater than all the assembled armies the world could possibly muster. Uh, and we see this like in First Samuel when we learn about David's good friend Jonathan, actually Saul's son. Uh, son. Uh, and, and here's David, right? Gets along with one of uh, Saul's daughters, marries her. Saul's son, he's best friends with. They have like this really special uh, relationship and Jonathan's able to speak truth into his life. And uh, Jonathan's this really noble person of faith and character and integrity. And he understood this perfectly when he said to his personal armor bearers, like, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by a few. And this is a few minutes, you know, later they're going on to take on and defeat an entire garrison of Philistine soldiers. And so that's just the two of them. And it's like this incredible faith uh, that people have. This is, you know, why it's great to be when we come to church on Sundays and we worship together because we're in community with other people who uh, think alike or maybe want to learn more about it, uh, we can encourage each other. And Jonathan is obviously encouraging David. David needs... Uh, he's not going to like learn all this on his own. I mean, God can do that, but we surround ourselves with people who have life experiences, who have grown in God, who have confidence because they've been tested and they've come through. Um, it doesn't mean that uh, we're not going to have problems like God carries us through. And it might not be the resolution you want, you know, because, you know, like in uh, Thessalonians, when Paul, ta- Paul talks about taking joy uh, wherever you are in life and have gratitude for whatever situation God has you. And it's like, Paul's not in a good situation ever, you know. And it's like, he's always in trouble of some sort. You know, he's being persecuted. He's being chased. He's being thrown in prison. Uh, churches he's helping set up turn on him, you know, and uh, he's just, he, and, but he still takes a joy in all of that and a gratitude because what he understands is God has this plan and he doesn't know what it is, but he's here to carry something out for God and he's going to do that with joy and pleasure and gratitude. And so when we're looking at a life that we're going to thrive in, uh, that doesn't mean we're going to have, you know, like the, the big house with the white picket fence and the family 
that everybody admires. It means that, you know, God has a plan for you, and, and, and that's what you follow. And, uh, and through that, and look, in the song Damon was singing there, the, the worship band was singing, uh, you know, basically it's saying, like, I don't know what's going to happen until you come take me home at the end, you know? And it's just this trip I'm going to be on. It's like, all I can do is seek your face. Um, and so that's a, that's a pretty beautiful passage. A friend of mine came out of, like, a long stretch of alcoholism. She's a really dear friend. And uh, she became a believer, you know, a couple of years after that, I guess. But uh, a friend of hers told her, you know, because she was, like, in shame and embarrassment and how she led her life and it had been a mess. And he's like, you know, uh, you're a warrior and God brought you through this and you walk with a limp now and people see that limp from your experiences but they're going to admire you for that limp and that uh, what's happened because you have something to offer and you have something that people can learn from and experience and to grow and trust in God because God brought you through this then God can bring you through anything. So, uh, yeah, so it's not a promise here that no harm's going to befall you, you know. But it's more like a meditation on the confidence we can have knowing that God has good and eternal purposes for us. So, let's move to verse 4. One thing I ask the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So David isn't pleading with God to rescue him, and he isn't asking for riches or honor. And that he, he's only asking that he might enjoy always an intimate relationship with God, that he might spend as much time as possible in the presence of the Lord, right? The thing for David is, is asking is so simple and so profound, right? So you remember, David's not a Levite, so he would never be uh, allowed into certain parts of the tabernacle that are the holiest parts, right? Because that's where the Levite priest. Yet we read elsewhere in Scripture that he has this desire in his heart to build a temple for God. And so imagine that here's David who wants to build a temple to God where everybody can come worship, but he would not, much of that temple would be off limits to him, you know? So, uh, which kind of reminds me of that uh, Anna, the prophetess, who's in the temple when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to have him consecrated. And Luke tells us she had uh, been a widow for a long time. She's an older lady and that. All that time devoted herself to fasting and praying and serving. And she was privileged to see Jesus firsthand, right, and to tell everybody about him. And so that's another reason why it's just important to gather with the people of God and worship him and to meditate on his goodness, right? And that's what we do here on Sundays. That's one of the things we do, and we should probably do it other times of the week. But, you know, for a lot of us, this is the only time we do it. And so uh, we'd like to make this time count. And uh, But it's, like I was saying, it's good to have people around you that you can lean on or talk to or spend time with outside of here where that's what you can do together. And here's Anna. She's like just thrilled that uh, this prophecy has come true and she gets to witness it. And, you know, she's dying to share it with everybody. So... Uh, and then we're going to move into verses 5 and through 7. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy, and I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. 
be merciful to me and answer me. So God did hide and conceal David. Saul couldn't capture him, despite employing all his resources and all his armies and everything he had. Uh, David and his men enjoyed protection and provision you know, at the tabernacle from Ahimelech the priest. He was protected in the wilderness of Engedi, which is this beautiful desert oasis in the Judean wilderness. He was vindicated when Saul realized that David had 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 the opportunity to kill him but spared him. Um, David, despite the many months of wandering and being on the run for his life, David was confident that he would again have the opportunity to worship God at the temple. He asked God to hear his plea, a simple desire to be free to worship him once again. And it's like just such a simple request, right, through all these troubles. He just wants to be able to worship God basically at church like we do, you know. And so we should take with joy when we come in to church on Sundays. And I mean, like, I'm not always super joyful when I come on a Sunday, but often on those Sundays when I leave, I'm joyful. You know, it's like great to come. But uh, anyhow, let's move to verse 8. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. If someone were to ask, what is the secret of life, a life of joy and gratitude, uh, this might be my answer, right? The secret to thriving in an otherwise unstable, unpredictable, hostile world isn't by seeking stability or comfort or riches or security. At least, uh, you know, not by the way the world would have us believe that. But uh, we seek God himself. And a little further up in Psalm, in Psalm 34, it says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my th- fears. And so verse 8 isn't just one of the two middle verses of this psalm. It's really the heart of the message. And in the ancient world, you know, only up to a little while ago, really, before printing presses and bookstores, before we had phone apps, and uh, people had to be a lot more attentive listeners, right? They knew instinctively when they were at the center of a passage of Scripture or of a message, and they knew that lesson to be learned was there right in the middle of the message. And so they were really great listeners. And here in Psalm 27, as though, like, purposely tucked away in the middle, waiting to be found those who are diligent and listening and observant, we find this verse. And it's the crux of what we're supposed to take away from this, I believe. It's that God is saying to us, seek my face, seek my present presence. So let our hearts respond obediently, right? Your face, your presence, O Lord, I shall seek. And how do we do that, though? I mean, it's a lot harder than just... Uh, it seems like, right? How do you seek Jesus? The truth is, we know what to do, though. I mean, we just need to do it. I mean, for most of us, the key is actually when we're going to seek his presence, you know. Uh, we know how. We quiet our hearts, putting aside a distraction, opening the word, reading, praying, listening. But too often, we just let the day get away from us, and it just never really happens. And so... Uh, I'm not great at this, but really, I mean, probably the best time for us to seek him is early in the morning, like when it's quiet and we have a little bit of time to ourselves, and, or maybe late at night when it's quiet and our phones are off and they're not being blown up by text. And you know, just how like we're supposed to bring him our first fruits of our earnings and gifts, and we give him the best of that, um, and we don't really seem to have a problem with that. It's probably beneficial to do the same thing with time, to give them the best of our time. Not our hurried time, not our time when it's like, oh, i got to like, talk to God because i got a problem, but just to come to God when we're in a space where we're being uh, open with our time, we're not being bothered, uh, we're not being 
harried in a million different ways. We just give them the best of our times, right? And that way, it's, it's like we're allowed to find God, to find his presence in our lives. It opens our, the doors. It's the foundations, again, for, you know, enjoying shalom in a world that's so lacking in it, you know, some peace and harmony and uh, wellness and uh, things like that. So, verses 9 and 10, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So now this is both a declaration of lament and trust, right? Um, A lot of us enjoy good relationships with our mothers and fathers. A lot of us don't. And uh, I've always been envious of people who have good relationships with their parents, you know? But some of us don't really identify with our parents. Or, uh, it's, does it, like, brought up in a certain way? It's, uh, it's parents abandon you. You know, you can't trust them. They're not protective of you. Uh, it almost seems like they're out to destroy you through whatever demons they have on their own. And maybe they can't help themselves, but they're definitely not helping you. And, you know, that's not what our God is. Our God's a father of trust and protection and guidance. Um, but David knows that even, like, the closest to him are going to disappoint him, right, and, and abandon us, right? So, like, Saul, he's really close to at some point, and now he isn't. He's close to Saul's son, his daughter is his wife, but Saul sees uh, David as this, you know, huge existential threat to him, and so is just abandoning him and, and actually going out to destroy him. So, uh, and we see this, in the New Testament with Jesus, right? Jesus was abandoned. He wasn't betrayed by a stranger. He was betrayed by one of those closest to him, one of those that he trusted the most. Um, And in the hour of his death, though, Jesus still affirmed his trust in God, saying with nearly his last breath, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, those are pretty powerful and capable hands, really. And so we might not be able to trust our parents in that sort of situation, uh, but we can trust God. And I know like a couple of people in here I've talked to, you know, they had decent relationships with their parents or brothers or siblings, and, and then it just goes haywire, you know, and we, we're not quite sure what that is. And there's like some ulterior motive, it seems like, to kind of bring you down or, and unlike I'm in a situation like that a little bit, but to... Uh, you know, some harbor, resentment is harbored, and it just comes out in weird ways and just makes life really difficult. But uh, what we can do, I feel like we should do in these situations, right, because God showed us so much grace, he gave us his son, uh, is that the least we can do is show that kind of grace for others, even our enemies, right? And uh, some of them have been really close to us, and maybe they're not now, but we don't always know what they're going through. And what's happening with them, what's led them to be this way. Uh, And so what we need to do is we put our trust into God. And that's where we can be protected and shepherded, shepherded, right? And so uh, people get damaged in all sorts of ways that make them do all sorts of crazy things. And whenever you see that, I mean, it's it's tough. And you you have to have some boundaries. But we also need to show love and empathy and grace to them also. And so... In verse 11, this is uh, a path to that. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. 
Just as David asked to know God more closely and intimately, he also asked to be more familiar with God's ways. And God would help him to live a good and godly life. He knew that his enemies were looking for any excuse to attack him. His prayer, in essence, is, Lord, guide and teach me your ways so they won't have any excuse to bring me down. Um, So our soul only belongs to God. So our soul can't be touched by others unless we let them, right? And so if we just let the Lord guide us and teach us, we're going to be protected there. Uh, But also I think this speaks to a larger thing, right? Like my experience is like at work or in your community where you know people or hang out and maybe they're not followers of Jesus, but they know you are. You know, I guarantee you they're watching you, right? They're watching to see how you're leading your life. And some might be watching, hopefully, wondering if there's really a better way to live life and uh, there's a better world waiting for us, a world that has some shalom in it, some uh, peace and harmony and hope and, and uh, uh, joy and gratitude. And so... Leading a life where it's apparent we're following Jesus and and uh, there's joy in our life about it can really have a positive effect on people. But there's also other people who are waiting for us to fall and to uh, make mistakes and not to act like we're a follower of Jesus, right? And so what they're looking for is the opportunity to call you a hypocrite. And, you know, we're going to give them opportunities like that. But we need to just remember this prayer for both of their sakes and for our sake. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. And as we move on to verses 12 and 13, do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. You know, another word for enemy there. For false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, these verses parallel verses 2 and 3, right? David declares that enemies have arisen and they have kind of brazenly lied through their teeth to bring him down. And they're threatening physical harm. Um, If you go back to 2 and 3, you know, they're like these evildoers who are essentially, you know, being cast as wild animals who are looking just to tear David apart. And so uh, we see that the false witnesses rising up against us... uh, have violent intent, and they, they're looking to tear us apart also. So David declares that enemies have arisen, that the world is filled with these type of people, and as true as it was for David, if we don't have the Lord as our strength and help and shelter, it's likely we we're going to end up in some desperate and disparate straits too. So in this one psalm, David expresses both dismay at the viciousness of his enemies, just can't even believe what they're about, and yet complete trust in God to be delivered from this yet again. You know, so there's the lament about this broken world and these sinful people and these evil people, but trusting that God is going to deliver us from that. And so here David declares confidence that he will not die at the hands of his enemies. But again, I believe we see in the life and the words of David a foreshadowing of Messiah himself, right? In the passages such as Isaiah 53 and Psalm 16, which we went through, we read about the anointed one of God dying, yet not remaining in death's grip, for he would rise from dead to see the light of life. And so the goodness of the Lord will indeed prevail in the land of the living. Uh, The opportunity to see the light of the life, that's an opportunity for all of us. That's not just for David, you know, 
or for other followers of Jesus. That's for all of us, no matter where we are in our lives uh, at any time. Uh, that offer from God is there. And so when we move to verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. When will deliverance come? When will you be vindicated? When will those of you who seek your demise get their payback? In Jesus' time is when that's going to happen, right? We don't know, uh, but it's going to happen at some point. We might have a life of troubles and tribulations, but we don't know the particulars of what God has purposed for us. And sometimes we think we do, you know, through our own efforts and our desires and our goals and our ambitions. But, uh, you know, those are irrelevant to God, right? I mean, we, we actually don't know. We just need to trust in Him and wait. We redouble our determination to seek His face and find courage in His presence. And, you know, we learn to trust we don't take matters into our own hands. We wait for the Lord. We learn patience, right? We don't just act to act because we think we know best because we have this plan. Uh, we need to wait for the Lord because we're going to be vindicated uh, through patience if we're under attack, you know? God's plans are going to be accomplished. And so know it and prove you know it by waiting patiently and even with joy and uh, and gratitude, no matter what the situation is. And so, that's really what I have for us today. Uh, you know, life's an interesting path. I ran into a old college buddy of mine, I hadn't seen like 25 years, uh, maybe more, I don't know. I'm getting old, so it could be longer than that. But, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that when we trust in God... I mean, there's a point to this story I'll tell you in a minute, but uh, one of the uh, things when we trust in God, there is change in our life, right? And so when we, we learn this patience, we learn how to treat people differently, we learn how to have some joy in our lives, we learn how to change our attitudes about things and show grace or empathy uh, to certain situations. And so he lives in England now, and he's lived there for like 15 years, and his wife's American, but they've lived there a long time. And, you know, I like England, but I think, you know, like they have a, a, an appreciation of sarcasm and criticism that uh, is a little different than here. And so perhaps my type of personality for a long time would have been better suited there. But I'm going to tell you, like, what he said, one of the things he loved, we were in a fraternity together, but he said one of the things he loved about me and my personality was I did not suffer fool's gladness. Badly, which I'm like, really? Like, that's a compliment? <laughs> you know, because like in our society, you know, we're kind of a sensitive people, but uh, people don't need to be pointed out all the time when they're wrong, right? People do not need to be told they're stupid. People do not need to be told they have bad ideas. People do not need to be uh, uh, ridiculed and humiliated and uh, like destructive pattern in my life for a long time was I would do those things. And that's not the first person who told me that, you know. Uh, and so, but at some point, I did reach out to God, and I'm like, you know, that's a character trait that I don't like, and that needs to get worked on, and I'm sure it's still there at times. But, you know, I've really learned how to, like, be empathetic to people. And sometimes people just say things, they don't even know what they're saying, you know. And so, why should that bother you? You know, it's like, it's just like, Water off a back. I mean, it shouldn't worry you. But, uh, but I guess this is what I mean, right? So here's Jack, good guy. He's like, no, that's a good 
character trait. I'm like, no, that's a really bad character trait. It's like it causes destruction, not in just my life, but in other people's lives, in relationships, um, things like that. And so uh, this kind of harkens back to the shalom I was talking about, right? You want some peace and harmony and uh, connection and just love and this whole big picture. And if you're just full of, you know, I'm not going to say hatred, but just dismissiveness for people uh, wherever they are. It's like, uh, it's like, how can you even be a good witness about your relationship with God if people can't see that you've made changes in God? And you have to be patient about that. It takes time. Things just don't happen overnight, you know? It's work. And God gives us a path, though, uh, to do these things if we seek it out. And God gives us a path to seek out his face, God gives us a path to seek out uh, uh, confidence in him, you know, when we're down, if we just ask to be in his presence. And God's there for us at all times. And so uh, as we're closing, I'm going to invite the band back up, Damond and Elliot and Samuel, coming up, guys. And uh, we're just going to pray. But, I mean, if this is something on your heart, you know, God's always there for you. It's always an open invitation to you. Uh, uh, if you need prayer today, just come on up and, you know, I can pray for you. But uh, you just, uh, we're going to thank the Lord. We're going to pray real quick. Uh, Father God, we thank you for the Psalms. We thank you for David being an inspiration to us, Lord. You take a broken person, you know, a person who is really uh, a philanderer and uh, full of lust and he murders, Lord, but you use a broken person like David uh, to be inspirational to us because if you can offer David salvation, Lord, and, uh, and build his faith up and his trust and his confidence to where he seeks your face and to be in your presence when there's times of troubles, Lord, you know, that's hope for us that we can do that too. So uh, we're all created in your image, Lord. Uh, you have... Uh, a life you'd like us to lead, a life that involves being joyous and thriving and full of gratitude, Lord, whatever our situation, station in life. So uh, we just ask you to be with the band now as they sing us songs. And, uh, and we just thank you for being so gracious and loving. We just ask this in your name. Amen.